great time at the All Church Retreat. Uh, bless, uh, bless you guys for uh, showing up to that with expectation and um, attitude and energy. Because um, the most remarkable thing about the retreat uh, to me uh, is that um, people showed up to do business, right? People showed up to love each other. People showed up uh, in the spirit of joy, and people showed up with a lot of expectation and faith. And as a result, uh, we could do what we wanted to do. We just saw a, a tremendous amount of uh, community. We saw a tremendous amount of, of power. There's some healing, some deliverances, but a lot of filling uh, as well. Um, like people getting touched by the Lord and changed by the Lord. Um, uh, and so, you know, my word over the congregation is thank you. You know, thank you for showing up and being the body of Christ for that. And those of you who couldn't uh, make the retreat, you, you still benefit from everybody who was there carrying the stuff back to you, you know, and, and, and uh, bringing uh, blessings of the Spirit, blessings of testimony. And uh, had a great... Uh, ministry time together Saturday night. I asked Angel to share a 90-second testimony about uh, her time with the Lord. You responded to a word, as I recall, about you know, the Lord delivering from regret and disappointment. And Yeah, so they called, so I was like, that is me. So I went up, and I went up there, and I, through a retreat, I realized that during the pandemic, God had, God had a season for me, but the enemy robbed me of that. But Holy Spirit's like, no stealing here. <laughs> and so I went up there and people were praying for me. It was a one person after the other, but it felt like this. It felt like there was a lid and water was trying to go. It was just going around the cup because the lid was covering it. And then I got delivered. <laughs> Some of you who did go, and if you didn't go, you get to hear this. No, not me doing an example of it, but those of you who went might have heard some screaming. If you were really close, you might have heard some growling. Um, that wasn't me, just to say that. That was the demon, which we kicked away because no demons here. Holy Spirit went shoot. And of course, after that, it was, the lid was just gone, and I was just filled with the Holy Spirit. And just as the name of the retreat being First Things, it felt like the very first time I felt the Holy Spirit, it felt like that again. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is it. And of course, after the retreat, say, like the enemy was like, hey, and I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, shoo, get out of here. <laughs> And, and this week has been how? This week has been really good. Um, yeah, so this week has been really good. I've been hearing a lot from God, and it feels, it feels like how it should be. That's the best way to put it, just walking around, and God's like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, yeah, what's up? We're like, oh, yeah, chilling. About Sky's nice. Up, yeah. All right, thank you. Good I just want an angel to share quickly because, you know, nobody's better than an angel, but, you know, the enemy can do a number on anyone, and then sometimes it's just really helpful to have brothers and sisters uh, ministering to you in the power of the Spirit. Sometimes it looks a little, little mystical, a little crazy, maybe there's some screaming and growling involved, but so what? The, the outcome is peace and hearing from the Lord and restoration and fruitfulness, and that's just, uh, you know, normal life together in the kingdom of, of heaven on earth, and uh, lots of... Uh, stories of blessing uh, like that uh, from from the all church retreat. Um, you know, I enjoyed the healing, enjoyed the deliverances as as one does uh, as part of our ministry time together. Saturday night, I felt like, well, I really want to pray for the release of evangelistic power uh, in uh, in the congregation. So, I jumped down on, on the floor and started praying for people, and you know, some dozens of people came up. I was just praying for them one by one. 
other people jumped in as well, but there was a release of power there, a filling of people for the call of evangelism that was as powerful as anything that, that we've experienced at Blue Water Mission. You know, it's like people um, were getting empowered um, by the Spirit. You, you saw some of that, those of you there, and like physical reactions to the power. Like when the Holy Spirit fills you with supernatural power, sometimes your body just can't quite contain it, you know. So we had people passing out and stuff or falling down and uh, quivering, uh, you know, as, as the Spirit put a little electricity in their bodies. That's not the point. And the point was while he was doing that, he was also calling people and focusing people and I think releasing people to do what they're called to do uh, in the world. We get past the weirdness and we get on with the fruitfulness. Um, that's what we're called to do. I was thinking a lot about uh, a season of gathering before the retreat and then after the retreat, I was like, oh yeah, well, that's what it's all about now. Uh, we are officially a gathering place <laughs> if we weren't before. And, uh, and that word place has been at the forefront of my mind this week. Um, from time to time in my life with the Lord, I felt like I've arrived at a place of power for, for various reasons um, and a place of fruitfulness for various reasons. I think you know, Jesus always teaches his disciples like the, the field is ripe right now. You know, but all you need to do is to pray for God to, to raise up workers for the harvest. Like there's, there's more harvest happening. There are more opportunities for, for life change, for deliverance, for miracles, for gathering people into uh, a saving relationship with God than we can possibly keep track of. But, but sometimes we aren't aware of it and sometimes we're just not, I don't know, uh, we're not how we should be, you know. Sometimes it can seem so difficult. And other times in my life, I'm just in a place where it's like, it's, it's, it's easy. It seems quite possible, you know. Uh, the first small group that Sony and I ever led together um, was in a really, really violent neighborhood, a very, very troubled neighborhood, drug-ridden neighborhood. And uh, that small group kind of grew to be like, you know, 40, 50, 55 people smashed into our living room. And, uh, and people from other towns would show up in my house, even though it was an incredibly dangerous neighborhood, just to experience the peace and fellowship of that group. So it was kind of paradoxical and ironic. There was this guy who came, his name was Norin, he was a Jewish guy. Not a believer, but he had been invited to come by a friend who herself had gone through a very troubled, uh, exhausting time, you know. So she was coming to the group just to kind of receive restoration from the Lord, invited him to come. And he just kept coming, right? Even though he, didn't, he, he wasn't part of this faith thing. He just kept coming, kept showing up, kept participating. And then one night, uh, I was sort of leading a you know, Bible discussion, as one often does during these small groups. And I remember Noreen just kind of interrupting the sharing time. He's like, I, I, I just want to let everybody know that I'm a Christian now. I'm not sure when it happened, uh, but I've come to realize it has happened. And, and I don't know how it worked, except that being in this place made it possible for me. You know, it's kind of how, how he said it. It was just, just the environment of, of that house and that community of people, and it released his soul to believe, right? It's the best way that I think one could describe it. I've had other groups like that. Uh, the next small group that Sony and I led together, I was in grad school. It was in a South Chicago neighborhood that was rough, not as dangerous as the East Palo Alto neighborhood, but, but rough. And I was a grad student, and we started a, a, a group that was mostly undergrads, so really young people, you know, buddies about 20 years old, 25, 26. And, and, uh, and the Lord was just in that place. It was just an appointed place for us. And, and, and we went through this season where bang, 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 we had like three conversions, just really, really quick, people coming to the Lord. Sometimes you call that conversion, a transition in life from non-belief to belief, which is a fairly big transition. Sometimes has less to do with belief and more to do with followership, you know? It's like, well, now I believe in such a way as I will follow. And that's like a huge decision that a person makes in life. Uh, it's like bam, 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 we had three of these. And then what happened to me is that place made me feel powerful, made me feel strong. So I went out into the world 
and was just much, much freer to testify about what the Lord was doing in my life, what was important to me. Now I was at, um, I was at the University of Chicago, which was an, an incredibly intense intellectual environment. I think probably the most intense university in America that way. Uh, and, and I was openly mocked in my classes for being a, a Christian. Like the professors would openly mock me from the front. Um, and so it's super combative, super, super uh, prideful <laughs> and, and humanistic that way. But, but because of the experiences I was having in my place of power, in my small group, I was just kind of like, yeah, I don't think you're right, you know, and, and, and started just living with people in that power, you know. We had some really cool friends, a number of friends whose faith was restored, I think, just by hanging out with me and Sonia. And um, one, this lovely couple who were great friends of us who had their Catholic faith restored. Like they were, she was Irish. And it's like, well, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to do your thing, but I'm going to go back to my thing. And kind of went through catechism together with her unbelieving husband, but they kind of became part of the church and did the baptismal thing and all that. Decided to redo their wedding vows because they wanted to, you know, do it in the church, do it in a godly way and all of that stuff, invited me to their wedding to lead worship and, and all of this stuff. There was just life happening. And, and I, you know what I mean? It's a, it was just a place where that just seemed obvious. You know, it's like I, I could do it in that place uh, for, for whatever reason. I was thinking about some of the early days. We had a Blue Water mission and we always do baptisms at the, Holy, at the All Church Retreat, so they're really cool. And I was thinking this week about a baptism that we did out at Magic Island. We've done a lot of baptisms there. And it was a, it was a cool baptism. There were like 17 or 18 people getting baptized. And, uh, and I remember I was in the water a long time. I was like dunking people. And the Lord, I was just talking to the Lord. Oh, Lord, it's great to have all these people you know, just manifesting this decision to follow you. And I remember the Lord kind of interrupting me and say, oh yeah, but look at the people. And I looked at them and it was a remarkably diverse crowd. You know, we had very elderly people and we had children. We had homeless people. Uh, we had uh, successful businessmen. Um, we had uh, a working prostitute who happened by and said, can I have that? And it's like, it was just like, the, the range of people. And I felt like what the Lord was saying to me is like, people everywhere, from everywhere, are thinking about Jesus. Everybody, right? Not just some people, right? Not just certain people, not people in the right kind of relationship, not, you know, all sorts of people are thinking about Jesus, Jordan. The harvest is ready you know and it wasn't just numbers of people that convinced me of that but types of people representation of people that made me feel that way um, there have been times when I realized I was in a place of power and somehow that helps me harvest I don't know if that's because there are only some of those times in life, some of those places, or because only sometimes I'm aware of them, <laughs> you know. But here's the deal. I think we're in one of those places now, uh, Blue Water Mission. And just kind of see the eagerness with which the Spirit responded uh, to excitement for evangelism in our midst. Convinces me that, oh, you know, there is such a potent call on us at this moment for, for gathering. So let's do a warm-up question. Everybody roll your shoulders, poke the person next to you in the ribs, make sure they're awake. Some attention, if they're not awake, poke them again. And uh, so I want to ask you a question. Uh, it's more of a consideration. I want you to seriously consider this for a second, like really put your mind and your spirit in this place. Has God right now in your life put you in a place in which you can change lives. And your knee-jerk answer might be yes. I want you to take a minute and just see that place. Has God put you in a place to change life? 
Where is it? Where is it? Just do that business with God for 10 seconds. Just hold that uh, in your heads uh, for a little while uh, while we go through uh, the rest of the discussion today. I didn't, even, I didn't even get the question out of my mouth and Julia was nodding. Yes, yes, I'm in that place. You see her lay. It was his bir- her birthday yesterday. The big 4-0. Youngest... Uh, 60-year-old in our congregation, by far. You know, you know I was thinking, uh, talking about you, uh, uh, this weekend, Julie, and you know, you're, you're getting a little older. You know what I noticed? Nobody ever calls you auntie. Because older, I didn't say old, you're getting a little older. Nobody calls you auntie. Everybody thinks of you as a sister. And there's just something about that, the spirit that you carry is to be so sisterly. I don't know what to make of that, but it's just so remarkable. To me. People call me uncle. Nobody calls you auntie. It's not fair. But it's just so, what's the word? Your spirit is timeless, I guess. Maybe that's it. Is that a good way to say it? I digress. I digress. No, let's embarrass Julie some more. No, let's, let's. Um, uh, I'm going to read a story from Acts chapter 8. The may scripture for today. It's a story about this guy named Philip. Uh, he is called in church history, Philip the Evangelist. So really, this is a story about someone who has given themselves to evangelism, who has given themselves to gathering people in uh, to a first experience with Jesus. Um, and Philip, uh, Philip the Evangelist is not Philip the Apostle. There was a Philip kind of in Jesus' 12, but this is a different guy. This is a guy that just kind of joined up later and kind of came up in the early days of the church in Jerusalem after, after Jesus ascended. The church in Jerusalem was growing like gangbusters. Um, and, uh, and then things got really chaotic, right? Some of you know this history at a certain point. Uh, in the story of the book of Acts, which is the story of early Christians kind of inventing church and learning how to do the kingdom of heaven on earth without Jesus present in the flesh. And, um, and they were so successful in winning so many people to Christ and doing so many miracles and having such an amazing time that uh, the, uh, the non-Christian Jews in Jerusalem, the religious leaders, got really upset, really jealous, and then eventually just started killing them and uh, throwing them in prison and stuff like that. That charge was led in large part by this young man named Saul, who would become Paul, the famous church planter. So all sorts of ironies and and twists and turns in this lovely story. Uh, But because uh, the authorities started killing Christians and throwing them in prison and arresting all the leaders in in Jerusalem, uh, a lot of Christians fled the city for their lives. Like, we've just gone through a really tough time, chaotic time in the world, and, and some of us were fearing for our lives, I suppose, in the COVID thing. A lot of us fearing for our, our uh, livelihood, right? A lot of us have lost jobs and means, and we're in terrible... Okay, these guys were literally running for their lives and, um, and just fleeing the city uh, there was no government support, right? They didn't know how they were going to support themselves or anything. So like super chaotic time. And this guy, Philip, flees Jerusalem and he ends up first in a, a, a place called Samaria, sort of the, the capital of a region. Uh, and many of you know that the Jews of those days didn't like the Samaritans um, because the Samaritans had sort of left the faith in the one true God and their religion became kind of synchronistic and funky and, and, and uh, so the Jews felt betrayed by the Samaritans and they were cooperating with some of the occupations and stuff like that. 
nasty relationship. But Philip ends up in their city, and, and what he does is he starts performing miracles. Uh, deliverances are mentioned specifically, and it said, you know, demons came out of many people with great shrieking, right? It's another good reason for Angel to share her story. I mean, this has been going on for thousands of years, you know. <clears throat> and, uh, and then he starts preaching the gospel, and it says, and the whole city received the word with great joy, right? So it's like you have a full-on citywide revival in Samaria, uh, and uh, so super evangelistic, even though Philip is running for his life and probably wondering how he's going to get his next meal, he's like doing things like, you know, converting cities and stuff. So pretty evangelistic fellow. So a good model uh, for us, it turns out. Yeah, come on in, guys, have a seat. And we pick up the story in chapter 8, starting at verse 26, right after his experience in, in uh, Samaria, in the Samaritan uh, village. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he gets this direction from an angel of the Lord, a really, a really some kind of very potent messaging, messaging from the Lord. So he started out. He goes south from uh, Samaria toward Gaza on this rural highway. Uh, so he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, as one does when one's walking around, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Not sure if her proper name was Candace. It's also kind of a title, but anyway... Uh, the queen of the Ethiopians, uh, and he's like director of the, uh, the state bank uh, for the Ethiopians. He's a super high-level official. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship from the time of the first diaspora of the Jews uh, when they were invaded um, five centuries earlier, more or less. Uh, there was uh, a big group of Jews that fled from Israel to Ethiopia, which is in North Africa, uh, and they sort of did a little Jewish settlement there, and along the way converted a lot of the native Ethiopians to faith in the one true God. Uh, and there's still a lot of those Ethiopians there today. Uh, Jeremiah the prophet might have been one of those exiles that kind of started this little mini Ethiopian revival. So the Ethiopians had long had a tradition, like, well, there's one, one true God, the Jews in, it, in Palestine worship him. So... Uh, this guy, who has a lot of means, decides to go to Jerusalem and worship in the temple, right? So it's a great religious experience for him. It's a, it's a cultural experience for him. And so he goes uh, to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So what this tells you is this guy was, he was all that. He had a lot of means. Like, people didn't just ride chariots around. That's like... He has a limousine entourage, right? So he's like that kind of guy. More than that, he has a scroll that he's reading. Like scrolls were incredibly rare and expensive. And so he's basically reading a book in the backseat of his limo convertible on his way home from this little religious cultural uh, semi-vacation that, that he's had. Um, so quite a scene, very interesting. And the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And I like the way it is said, because it doesn't say go to the chariot and preach the gospel. It's just said, go over there and hang out, right? And notice things, I suppose, was the implication. Just kind of be in that place was the direction of the Spirit, which is so cool. Then Philip ran up to the chariot. I always find that a little funny is jogging along in this convertible limo, and heard the man reading the prophet. He's reading out loud from the book of Isaiah, which might strike you as kind of odd, but through most of human history, when people read books or scrolls or whatever, they always read out loud. There was no such thing as silent reading. I know that sounds really funny to you, but even through like 19th century America, when people read, even when they were alone, it was common to read out loud. There's some funny stories from the life of like Abraham Lincoln doing this. Like when he taught himself to read by firelight in his rural cavern, 
he was reading out loud and bothering his family and stuff. Even, even in his days in the Oval Office when he read alone at his desk, people would say he was always reading out loud. That was just how it worked, you understand? And so not, not so uncommon that, but Philip can hear what he's reading and he says, do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. He takes the opportunity. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The, the eunuch was reading his, this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Do you guys know where that's from? Anybody? That's... It's from Isaiah 53, which is probably the most famous Old Testament chapter predicting Jesus. Um, so, so these words are all about Jesus, and it's about Jesus' death, his suffering, his humiliation, you know, which was really a surprising thing because one did not expect the promised Messiah to be humiliated and killed unless you read very closely. So it's a very provocative piece of scripture. So interesting that this eunuch, this official, was reading it uh, right at that moment. What a coincidence, everybody say, hmm. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? So Philip had evidently also explained to him the Christian rite of baptism and everything that they had been going on in Jerusalem and dunking people and all that stuff, you know. Uh, so he, 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 got some, he got some testimony. Uh, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Snaps. It's a good story, right? When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, which is about 20 miles north, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea, which is even farther north. So evidently, it sounds like what happened is that Philip dunks the guy, hey, congratulations, you're in, and then Philip gets supernaturally transported 20 miles away and appears in this place called Azotus, which was another sort of very racially mixed, religiously mixed town. And so teleportation, uh, which, is, which is cool. Yeah, 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 sure. How many of you like that gift? Yeah, sure. Everybody wants the gift of teleportation. Nobody wants the gift of celibacy. That's what I've learned in 25 years of ministry. That's, that's the basics. Yeah. Cool story, right? Uh, and I want to read this story. This is a story of an incredibly powerful evangelist. Right? A guy who gathered just hundreds and hundreds of not thousands of people into the kingdom and gave them their first experience with the Holy Spirit, their first encounter with Christ. It's that guy. Uh, come out of a really chaotic, chaotic time as we have and emerges from it to find himself incredibly evangelistic, as many of you will. That's the word today. Um, this is a person given to evangelism. And the first thing I would like to point out, as a person who has given themselves over to evangelism finds himself or herself in places of evangelism, in places of power, like I was talking about. Like every once in a while, I just kind of find myself in this place. I wonder if I gave myself over to evangelism more often, if I'd find myself in those places more often. Uh, but certainly, this story is about God moving Philip around a little bit like a chess piece, right? Just to get him in the proper strategic position. And then the rest is ministry, right? And what God did is kind of put him in the right... Let, let, let me ask, let me back up and say, what are the keys to Philip's success in this story? In Acts 8, 26 through 40, very fruitful, he ends up uh, leading a, an Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. I've, I've never done that. It's on my bucket list. I've got to find an Ethiopian eunuch. But um, what are the keys to Philip's success in the story? Obedience, right? So God says what? 
go to, go to that chariot. And before that, he's like, head south on the highway. You know, stand here at this intersection and keep your eyes open, right? It's very, very mundane in a way. So you listen to God. And what's the other thing that Philip does particularly well? What's his other great supernatural skill in this story? He asks, he asks questions. What are you reading? Do you understand it? Yeah. It was sort of a setup because when he gets near the guy, the guy is reading a prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus. So like if he didn't ask questions, what a dunderhead. But I could see it going. I could see me doing that. I could see me walking into a cafe and somebody's reading aloud from the prophet Isaiah with a puzzled look on their face and I'd be like, that's weird. I'd like a medium coffee with, you know. So it could happen, but Phil is like, yeah. I'm looking for something even more general. He, he knew God's voice. He was sensitive. He was listening. Yeah, I just noticed what was going on. You know, uh, it was like a limousine entourage, and so it's like he was he was gonna notice that, but he 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 noticed it in a way that had to do with evangelism, right? If I saw a big limousine entourage go by, I'd be like, oh, cool, tricked out cherry cars, I love it. But he's like, um, I wonder if there's an opening. <laughs> you know, go stay near that chariot. He started jogging by the chariot. Right? Which I think probably would have been a funky, because it's like, I imagine a lot of people jogged by the official's chariot begging for money. And Philip was quite literally a beggar at this point, right? Because he'd been kicked out of his city, and no job, no means of support, no church behind him at this point, right? Because he's just out there in the world, you know? But he doesn't act like a beggar, right? He acts like an evangelist. Um, often, that's the choice in my life. I feel like I wake up in the morning, am I going to feel like a beggar? Am I going to define myself according to my burdens? Or am I going to define myself according to uh, what I have to offer the world? You know? And uh, my success rate, not great, but Phillips was awesome. Yeah, so I think it's a combination of listening to God and keeping your eyes open. You know, this tremendous evangelist, that's it. And that doesn't sound too terribly fancy to me. I mean, that sounds like I could even pull that off. You, know, you listen to God, you kind of follow those little promptings of the Spirit that we all get. You guys are actually really good at that. We are an incredibly prophetic church that way. And almost everybody here has stories of, of feeling the direction of the Holy Spirit, hearing the voice of God. And they're just keeping your eyes open to what's around you. That's the thing I think I need to grow in. And perhaps you need to grow in that as well. I practiced this yesterday a little bit, maybe because I've been thinking about this. I was at, I belonged to this little sailing club. And uh, we were doing a little maintenance of the grounds, and I go pitch in and volunteer. And I met this new guy who had just coming back to the island. He'd been away for a while. And, and he was like, well, you're taking your boat out. This little, I had this little beat-up catamaran, and he had a better one. And I said, well, you're taking your boat out? And he said, yeah, yeah, um, you know. I could go with you, or you could come with me. We could just hang out and sail, you know? And I was like, I probably need to take this invitation. You know, I felt like it was an opportunity. So of course I chose his boat, it was cooler. And, uh, and we spent like four or five hours uh, cruising around the bay, and I was just listening to this guy's life story. You know what? It's easy to have significant conversations with complete strangers. I am maybe the least social person here. Am I lying? Nope. Yeah. Um, not, not really gifted uh, relationally. I'm, I'm, I'm slow in those situations. But one thing I can tell you for true is that it is always easy to have a significant conversation. Part of the reason I have discovered this is because I can't stand insignificant conversations, right? I just like zero tolerance and very, very little capability. Uh, but I'm okay with significant conversations because I ask good questions, you know? Because I ask good questions and it's something I've schooled myself in. And, and uh, you have questions at your disposal. If you are a regular at Blue Water Mission, you have discipleship questions you can ask people, right? If you do not know what the five discipleship questions are, ask somebody next to you. And if they don't know, just 
just repent at this point. Because we talk about them all the time, right? Yeah, you, you got them. Um, but it, it's easy. You know, to tell me, tell, tell me about your life. What's going on? I mean, what's, what's exciting? What's powerful? Um, you know, how is this season of your life interesting or unexpected? People like to answer these questions, and they usually provide opportunities for you. Anyway, listen to God and keeping your eyes open. Uh, I think there's a third bit, uh, which has to do with expectation. And this was a word that I felt like I needed to deliver to the church this morning and that I want everybody to hear. Someone right in front of you is thinking about Jesus. In your life right now, someone right in front of you is thinking about Jesus. And I chose the word Jesus because it is more provocative than the word God. Right? Someone right in front of you in your life today is thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. They might, like the Ethiopian eunuch, be working on the periphery of Jesus. You know, like, who, what exactly is going on? Like, what exactly should I think, right? But, but still, that passage was about Jesus. The Ethiopian eunuch just didn't know it until Philip showed up and said, you're thinking about Jesus. You're thinking about Jesus. And I think that's happening all around us right now. Right now. You know, and, and I have different reasons that I think that. It has to do with the season of the world. I'm a pretty prophetic fellow. I can stick my finger in the air and be like, you know what? People are spiritually hungry, right? All of this humanistic oppression that has dominated uh, the past few years has backfired, as it usually does. And it's made a certain group of people extremely spiritually open, right? Great. That's good for us. Um, but also, what I notice is that when we pray for power for evangelism at our all-church retreat, the Spirit's like, ugh, let me at him. Right? And some of you experienced that power. Um, and some of you just saw it, but it's there for all of us. Right? The Spirit is into this. And he's hardly ever wrong. That's the thing about God. You know, so that has to do with his omniscience and stuff. Like, he understands the season that we're in in a way that's, that's better uh, for us. So it might seem like you're running for your life. It might seem like, you know, you've lost your community. It might seem like you're struggling financially. And when the Lord looks at your life, he's like, you're surrounded by people who are interested in Jesus. Go for it, you know. And, and he'll take care of the rest, as Jesus so very often reminds his disciples. Um, you know, there's... And he will give you set-up situations. The Lord will lead you to the places you need to be in with the people you need to be around. I promise you, this is true. I promise you. And the only question is, well, do you fire away? <laughs> or do you sit back and wonder and just let the opportunity uh, go by? You know, do you... Do you do you start a conversation, which is often what it comes down to? Do you ask a question? Like, what are you thinking about life right now? I, it, how does God fit into that? Nobody balks at that question. That's an okay question uh, to ask people. You know, do, do you, sounds like you're maybe thinking about God. I never have problems saying that. You know, it, it goes okay. Uh, at least most of the time, you know, and, and, and I testify, you know, in some, in some mystical way, Jesus was the manifestation of God on earth, and the nice thing about it is that he so clearly showed that God is loving and humble and not interested in lording and over anyone, but you still kind of have to make him lord, because if you don't, it shows hardness to God, and that leads to trouble. You know, there's a way of delivering that message that is pretty easy to hear and takes you in a constructive place. You know, that's an example of how I often do it. And it will take you places because people are really hungry for Jesus right now. In the end of the story, what happens is that after the baptism, Jesus, or Philip is kind of magically transported away, it would seem. Uh, and here's what struck me about that. Um, 
the Lord is giving you interactions with people right now that are meant to be really significant. There's someone right in front of you who's thinking about Jesus. But the Spirit is moving. Right? The Spirit is moving from Samaria to the desert road up to Azotus. And you only get those interactions for a minute. <laughs> right? You might not get that opportunity with that person ever again. Right? If you are a person who moves with the Spirit, then the Spirit will lead you to places of evangelism. But the Spirit will also move you on, you know, sometimes supernaturally if necessary, which is really great uh, on a Friday afternoon commute. So you gotta, you got to fire away, you know, when you have the chance. I mean that, of course, in the best sense. Um, because the spirit is moving, right? And you are, you are the opportunity uh, for the people that, that you encounter. M evangelism in this story seems almost perversely easy, right? I mean, he, he shows up, there's this guy coming by in a convertible limousine who's reading from the prophet Isaiah and he's open to conversation. I mean, like, if this interaction didn't end with a baptism, you know, it's like, the way this story reads, you think, well, what a doofus, you know? Um, but here's a word that I think the Lord would speak into your life. Evangelism is often easy. And when I say the word evangelism, do you expect social awkwardness, combat, or success? All of the above, <laughs> right? I'm, but success? I mean, do you seriously expect success, people? Do you seriously expect success? Honestly? Honestly? So, okay, so that's, that's the challenge. That's the challenge right there. Because I think the Lord has set you up for success, right? And, and you just have to endure maybe a little bit of social awkwardness for a minute, right? Usually it's harder to start conversations than to have conversations. That's my experience. So I just try to be really bullheaded about starting them. I'm good at that because um, I'm clumsy anyway. So um, I think evangelism is going to be easy for you this year. I think so. Um, and maybe you want to think of it that way. Maybe the Lord has put you in a place of power or in places of power. Right? It's like, well, this is the place for it now. You know, this, is, this is the place. And it just kind of seems bang, bang, bang. Right? It just seem, kind of seems like suddenly you can do it, and you don't even know why you can do it. It's like walking on water. If you're not afraid, you can pull it off because Jesus has told you to. You know, just try not to freak out. We had so much power for that evangelistic anointing time that we did at the All Church Retreat that I wonder what would happen if we just kept our eyes open. Like, like Philip does, you know, uh, and moved with the Spirit um, as, as Philip does. That's all I really wanted to say today. Julie wants to share a testimony. She may. And it's not even because it's your birthday. It's just because. Just Thank you. Um, so I don't know if all of you know, but this summer I spent um, in California with my stepmom, and she spent the last 15 years of my dad's life married to him. And I've known her since I was a little girl, and she had a very aggressive cancer. And so I knew that I, the Lord just told me to go and live with her, take care of her. And I knew that she didn't know Jesus. And so I get there, I groove into the house, and I get COVID. And you know, two and a half years into the pandemic. I've never got it, but right then when I get there. And so I have to isolate for 10 days. And um, I hold up in this little Airbnb, 10 by 15 foot room, sick as can be, really, really sick for like four days. Um, and actually, oddly, a lot of my symptoms were similar to what Barbara was feeling in her pain with her cancer. Um, but during that time, what, what I, I spent I couldn't sleep well, so I was pacing, and I was thinking, and I'm like, I know I need to share with her. 
and everything I would rehearse in my head sounded like Christianese BS. Like I couldn't come up with like a really cool, you know, a good way to say it. And I was like, what is wrong with me? I've been at this for a long time, but I hadn't shared my faith in a really long time. And so I was rehearsing stuff over and over in my head and everything came up cheesy, you know, stupid, whatever. And then the Lord was like, don't worry about it. I'm going to let you know what to share when you get there. So I get, um, I get to the hospital and it was like full on warfare on my 10th day, you know, I'm free to save. And I go into her hospital room and I, I, um, the Lord should share your, your faith journey, like how, how you came to me. Like, oh, that's easy. It's a long story. And she's known me since I was little. And it's a powerful story because I was a mess and had so many awful things that I came out of to come to Christ. She was riveted. And I've known her for 30 years, never asked me about my faith, knew I was a pastor. I was mocked at every family gathering because she hated evangelicals and she hated Jesus. And um, um, so, and she, it started by her saying, are you scared about the state of the world right now? And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting question. Well, actually, I'm not. And that led me, I'm like, the Lord was like, this is your end. Share your faith story. And like this, somebody rolled in this big apparatus, took off her shirt, sticking stuff to her chest, and she's like, keep going, keep going. I'm like, wow, okay. So that person gets to hear a little bit of it. And, and I, it was beautiful. And then she got sicker and sicker. And then I had all these sweet conversations with her in um, her, she wanted to die at home, so we brought her home. And I, one, one morning I was sitting with her and the Lord said, ask her uh, what she thinks about Jesus. I'm like, are you kidding, okay. So I asked her and she's like, well, good guy, like the way he lived, a little hard to figure out that he's God. So I was like, okay, well, I shared about the cross and the guy next to him who didn't know him, but all he had to say was remember me. And he was in. Jesus was like, you're going into paradise with me. So it was like undoing some of my, you know, evangelical, like you have to pray this certain prayer, all this specific way. Um, but it was just the promptings of the Lord and listening to him and paying attention and sharing my story because my story is real and no one can refute it, even if they don't like Jesus. They cannot refute the power of God in my life. And yeah, so... So what I really want to encourage you with is so much of it was that 10 days in the bed with COVID. Like the Lord was working on me with my own stuff. And he prompted me, just share from your own knowledge of me. Share from your relationship with me. That's an easy thing to do because it's so natural because it's where I live. It's where I am. So I encourage you, spend time and get your, like you don't have to rehearse stuff. But if you, if we are tapping in and saying like, listening for the goal, run after the chariot, and then listening. Like, I, I just, I think that's so key. And getting a sense of your own story so that you're ready to, like, roll it out when it's, when the time comes. You're, yeah. So, thank you. Cool. So, what I'd like to do is just end by praying for people who uh, want to be led by the Lord and are committing to be aware to the opportunities that they see in the world around them. The Lord's going to lead you to different intersections in your life, and you're going to be like, this is my place of evangelism. What has the Lord set up for me here? I think we're in a season where he will set up plenty. Now, if you can believe that right now, stand up, and I just want to pray for you where you are. And uh, we'll have the prayer ministry team come forward. They can continue the ministry in a second. But I just wanted to initiate it this way. We are followers of Christ. We are uh, a family that is really good at listening to the direction of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we are really gifted in that as a group, generally at Blue Water Mission. All right, time to turn it into harvest, people time to turn it into harvest. I bless you, brothers and sisters, in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord, may your eyes be opened. Show them, Lord, that the harvest is ripe, and show them that the person standing in front of them is the harvest. As people right in front of you, brothers and sisters, are thinking at this moment about Jesus even if they can't quite think their way clear, they are thinking about Jesus. You are the blessing. 
You are clarity. Your story is exactly what it needs to be in Jesus' name. So I bless you to have the significant conversation to ask the significant question and to share the significant truth. However it comes out is the way it needs to come out. And I just bless you with faith for that in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to take the opportunity to seal that in people's hearts, spirits, and bodies right now. In Jesus' name, just receive what the Holy Spirit has for you. And this is the people you have appointed, Lord, so give them what they need. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. And even now, I think the Lord is opening some ears. Some of you are feeling him get your attention is the way that I'm perceiving it. And some, some of you are just seeing places and people where you expect the, the gathering to happen. Do you have a specific word or a prayer? Go. Okay. So during worship, I felt like the strong urging of the Lord saying that this gift of um, evangelism and power is not just for the adults, but also for our kids. Oh, yeah. And that... Um, the youth have been gangbusters already. Yeah. And even, I think, like the teenagers, but even down to like the little ones he was showing me. And he was re reminding me of like friends recently at the mainland, like seeing some massive move of God that totally surprised them at like a youth conference. And it was mostly teenagers, but then there was also like seven-year-olds speaking in tongues and going around and praying for people. And I just think like the move of God is here. And so we, I think it's what he was saying was like, we need to be having these conversations with our kids, like at the dinner table, like, hey, this is what God said to me today or hey i have something hurting can you guys can you kids like pray for me and see if this gets better you know and like really i just think that the evangelism and the power and the healing and the casting out demons like all kinds of things we're going to see it in our kids and also in us and we just got to remember them all right i'll take that all right amen bless you uh let me just pray to dismiss. If you, if you want more prayer in that vein, come up to the prayer ministry teams and they'll lay a hand on your shoulder and they'll invite the Holy Spirit to come and do something cool for you. But so too, if you come today with the practical need for uh, healing in your body or a little material provision in your life or a little prophetic direction. I mean, have somebody pray for you and just give the Holy Spirit a shot at doing uh, what the Holy Spirit does, which is to guide and to restore and to empower because God is in the here and now. Father, I pray that you perfect your agenda for every person before we leave. I pray that we'd all be changed a little bit before we leave the campus. I pray, Lord, that you would appoint our life to life. That we would multiply in you. That we would be creative and multiply in accordance with your first command to humanity. I pray that we'd be a people of Genesis and we'd be a people of Acts. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that we, we, would, uh, we would find it now. In Jesus' name, everybody says. Bless you guys. Uh, come on up and get prayer.